0: Good to lay it all before God. Well, tonight we are going to be in Proverbs chapter 12. So if you want to open up a Bible, you're welcome to kind of follow along that way. But as we're doing this in the book of Proverbs, again, for you guys who've been a part of it, we have included or provided for you a booklet for the book of Proverbs that has the entirety of Proverbs chapter 12 in it. You're welcome to use this. You're welcome not to if you're so longing to do so. But the point was just to make it an easier way us to work through the book of Proverbs. Now if you're online right now, we want to make sure that you know, hey, we'd love for you to be a part of this and you might be wanting that booklet right now. If you do, we want you to know that you can get it online. You can go to our website at CalvaryRosl.com, go under the messages. You'll find this message listed and then click on the link that says download and it should show you the ability to download a PDF so you could you know, just follow along electronically or print it out, however that works good for you. But we just want to make sure that you have that available as well. One of the things we're going to be doing as we work through this and one of the reasons we provide the booklet is we want to give you the ability to mark this up maybe more than you would normally your own Bible. And so here's kind of the pattern that I'm going to use right now, but you're invited to use your own. Make your own notations as much as you want in the midst of it. But on the screen, I'm going to use colors because it's easier to see on the screen, but also certain shapes. And so we're going to use a circular thing to focus on on things that are just held before us as a good thing. And then a green line of kind of the outcome of that good thing. We use a red box to kind of highlight that negative thing, a red line, the outcome of it, the blue little kind of indention there to kind of say, hey, this is the connection between it and then purple for things that really highlight for us God's character. Now, again, that's just how I'm doing it. You might have a better way, certainly open to that, but hoping that in one sense, you'll just be able to follow along and see it maybe in a clear way that the wisdom that God has for you would just be laid out. So with that as a name, Let's take a moment right now before we dive straight in and ask for God's help as we study the book of Proverbs tonight. So would you join me in prayer? Let's ask that God would speak to you and speak to me. Father, here we are with a chance to come and study your word, and we're grateful for it. We're grateful for your word that is truth, that is righteousness to us. And Lord, tonight we're asking for help. We're asking that you would take your word and just cause it to be that which we both understand cause just the wisdom that's found here in the book of Proverbs to be that which washes over us and then just guides us in things that you have for us. Lord, you said that we could ask you for wisdom, and we do. I ask you for wisdom tonight, and I recognize one of the ways you provide that is things just like this, showing us your wisdom for living. So show us now, Help us to understand these passages, but I'm asking for me and for each person here that there might be one of these Proverbs that almost jump off the page, that be the one that says, that's the one I'm going to have to chew on and reapply into my life. And Lord, by your work of your Spirit, would you guide that? Would you help that? Would you enable us to be those who understand what you have for us? We're asking for that now, and we're asking for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the things that's so true in our world, and maybe has always been true, but it certainly is true in these days, is we live in a time where good is described and just treated as evil, and evil is just treated as good, that there's a, a really kind of a, a mix of that which is both right and wrong, and one of the ways that that can work its way into our lives is it kind of leaves us topsy-turvy at times, trying to really navigate, so what is good? You know, you know, not just what the world says is good, what is, what is the way that God has us to live, and it's certainly one of the keys for our lives, and certainly even things we want to get into the book of Proverbs, things that God will show you, here's how I, what I say is good, here's the wisdom that I would have you to live your life, and it might be different than both your personal experience, it might be different than the way you do life now, but it would be one of those places that you should be able to look and say, that's what I want. I want more of what that looks like. And that's true in all of it, but it's a good example to dive straight into one of those areas as we just look at a, as we jump right in, we pick it up in verse four. That's where we made it last time in chapter 12. We made it for the, through the first three verses uh, last time. So we are going to jump in here in verse four and do our best to finish the chapter. We may or may not make it. We'll just see how far we can get. So it tells us here in verse four, that an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. So it's not a hard one to understand. The good thing that's being held out is an excellent wife. And he says, here's this thing. An excellent wife, she's she's the crown of her husband. She, She does this thing that crowns. But in contrast, the one who causes shame, the one who would, instead of the kind of the opposite of an excellent wife, it's the one that would be rottenness in the bones. In his bones, and kind of walking this through, and this is a powerful kind of a a reality. It's just held to us, and certainly good stuff for all of us to think it through. But certainly the marriages that are here this evening, and one of the things I want to just quickly hold to you is God's design for a marriage that's really found all the way through the Scriptures. I mean, I could get you from Genesis; I could take you all the way through it. But I'll just take you to maybe one of the most singular places that says it really well. It's there in Ephesians chapter five. Paul's writing. He says, nevertheless, speaking to the husband. Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's kind of the summary statement of God's design for marriage there in Ephesians 5, and one of the things I just want to hold out to you is how beautifully simple God makes it. He gives you one word, one word, one thing that defines what God intends for you to do in marriage. And he says, husbands, here's the thing, the the one thing that, I mean, that defines everything is to love your wife. And then he tells the wife, the one thing is to submit or respect. Now, let's just pause and just say, here's the problem. We live in a world that defines marriage differently. In fact, we live in a world that even sometimes treats these things as if they're different than what they are. So let me give it to you in a very simple way. Wives, I think we we probably will just need to talk about it for you in a moment, because that's really where the proverb is is about. It's defining what what that would look like for you, and sometimes women can struggle with God's design for that. In fact, they would look at the idea of submission and all of those things and, and struggle with what that is, but I just want to quickly say, I really believe, for most, it's an entire misunderstanding of what it's saying. For many women, they feel like it's a definition of their identity. Uh, It's a statement of being lesser or any of those things, and it has nothing to do with that. The entirety of the whole thing isn't about you. It's about him. It's about the husband. He's not telling you about you. He's telling you what he needs. He's telling you how God designed men, and men, whether they know it or not, are driven by honor. They're driven by it. They're driven by it so that everything that they are, everything that moves them, whether they kind of tie into it or not, is constantly about honor. And he says, women, you know, you know the one thing your man needs, the one thing that, that defines everything, you do this well, you come in and you be the one that respects him, that treats him, it, it'll be the thing that will just sit, cause your marriage to sail. It'll be the thing that causes it just to thrive because he's made this way. If he can't get it at home, he'll try to find it somewhere else. He'll try to find it in his business. He'll try to find it in sports. He'll try to find it in some other thing because he's driven by honor. But nothing can do it like you can. Submission isn't about you. It's about him. And, and, and it's a calling to say, if you do this one thing, it'll go well. Quickly, by the way, men, he calls you to love your wives. And he just tells you, it's one thing. She's driven by being loved. It's a question she's always asking whether she knows it or not. Do you love me? I just need to know. I mean, however that's communicated, it's behind everything that, that sometimes, even just they don't even know it, the thing that defines their very stability in life is, Do you love me? Like, that's what I need to know. I mean, you, you communicate that, it's what I, what I need. And it's one thing. I love the simplicity of it. Again, I could take you from Genesis to the curse, I could take you through the whole Bible and say, It's always here. and and God could have made it really complicated. He could have said, okay, there's 15 things that you need to remember in marriage, and you would have been like, 15 things, okay. He could have done that. Instead, he just says one thing, one thing. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. One thing. Just do this one thing. Make that the one thing that if you're going to do anything well, it's going to be there. So take that template and now go back to this there in Proverbs, and that's exactly what he's defining for us here. He says, a wife that does this well, that this excellent wife, it's as if you could watch her husband, and all of a sudden, it's as if you've put a crown on his head. All of a sudden, in one sense, you take this man and he feels royal. He feels, you know, regal. It's as if he has power and and confidence that could just flow through his life in ways. I mean, it's one of those things that people would often say that behind any successful man is a successful woman. Who, who's believed in him, who's encouraged him, who's supported him. And it's as if you could say that. You say, okay, here's this excellent wife. She, it's as if she crowns her husband. It's as if she causes him to, to, to stand in this way, almost as you'd look at a king. And, and there he is, just confident and, and with authority and with power. But he says, watch it go the opposite way. Watch it do a wife who doesn't do this. He says, here's what you'll see. She's one who causes rottenness in his bones. She'll suck the life out of him from the inside. She'll drain him. She'll drain him, you know, even before he's there. She'll take everything that's, that's in the midst of this and, and draw this out. And I'm just telling you, it's a powerful reality. By the way, quickly, I mean, it's not really about him. It's not even saying he deserves it. In 1 Peter, he says, wives, you should do this even if he doesn't. You should, do, you should treat him with honor even if he's not, you know, because that will change him. And I'm just telling you, it's powerful. And, and so again, maybe more time than we could would normally spend on one uh, just proverb, but it's so powerful to watch this thing flow through it. But I'm telling you again, if you can get this glimpse, you'll say, that's not the way the world defines marriage. That's not the way the world defines being a wife or a husband, but this is what God is saying. He says, you want to do this well, you want to do this well, watch this. And I'll simply say, you could watch it. You could watch and say, that's, that's exactly what happens when a marriage is going right, when a wife is walking in that. It's a beautiful thing to behold. All right, well, we leave that one and we move to the next. There in verse 5, the Proverbs continue, and he says, The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. So the good thing that's being focused on here is the thoughts of the righteous, We ought to pause, as we do almost each time as we're here in Proverbs, and kind of quickly wrap our mind around this definition of righteous and wicked, because that's the constant flow back and forth. Who's righteous? Well, for us, we understand that if you're a follower of Jesus, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That we are those in Jesus who've been made right with God. That that's the only way that anybody can be made right with God. And so there's a certain sense that we look and say, this is what. The Christian life should look like. That said, there's a practicalness to that as well. Not just because we are that positionally, but living it out, that we're living that way in a right way. And certainly here in Proverbs, it's that kind of practical righteousness that is certainly in view. This is, here's this person who's trying to do the right thing. That the, the right thing, and the Bible would define the right thing, as right before God. Not right in the world's eyes, not right in your eyes, it's, it's the things that are right before God. So that's the definition for us in the midst of it. And so he says, if that's who you are, then even the thoughts that you're thinking, even the things that happen in there, they become right. They become things that flow in a right direction because it flows out of that right place where you are. The counsels of the wicked, in contrast, they are deceitful. That here you have the wicked, they would speak, and, and, and what they would say, it would be just entirely deceitful. Hey, quick FYI, just to make sure, we've talked about this a number of times in Proverbs specifically since I have it on the screen. Uh, One of the things I like about the New King James Version, uh, King James has it as well, is that they do a really good job highlighting words that are added to the English text. And so, you know, the the Proverbs are written in Hebrew, and so when it's translated into English, it's not really good sentences, so they would add words. When they do that in the New King James and King James, they'll, they'll put it in italics, So you'll notice I didn't highlight this time the word but uh, as we normally do as a contrasting word because it's not actually there. It's not actually in the Hebrew text. Neither is the word are in either one of those. The Hebrew just reads it very simply. The thoughts of the righteous, right. The counsels of the wicked, deceitful. It's not really a state, not a good sentence in English, but it's just this statement of of stark contrast between the two, that these get there. In fact, again, if you're following the the book of Proverbs with us, you would notice that these aren't, again, exact opposites. In in the righteous, we're talking about what you think. In the wicked, we're talking about what you say. And the the contrast is that for the righteous, you know, it's not even just what we say, uh, but to be right, it's even what you're thinking. But the the counsel of the wicked, it's it's evil, and it flows out in an evil way, and he calls us away from that. So with that, we continue. Verse 6, he gives us another. He says, the words of the wicked are lying wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. He says, here we watch this, and we begin to focus not just on the thoughts that they're speaking, but what they're saying. He says, the words of the wicked, they have this Kind of place of hurt other people, like lie in wait for blood, take something from somebody else, do something that would even talk, just bring in harm. But he says, the mouth of the upright. So, kind of the contrast between the words of the wicked, the mouth of the upright, it'll be that that delivers, it'll be that that rescues. And so, there is this place where not only are we not hurting, but it would actually be delivering. Now, quick pause, um, certainly going to be there in a lot in the book of Proverbs, but certainly here in chapter 12, especially as we get later in the chapter, there's going to be a lot about our words, a lot about what happens with our words and flowing out of it. And I find myself thinking of what Jesus said, where he says in Matthew 12, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. The evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. So it really is this person who's righteous or wicked and what's flowing out of our mouth comes from What's inside? Jesus goes on to say, but I say to you that for every idle word that men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Now, that's just terrifying. That's just a terrifying reality. In other words, when people stand, the world stands before God's judgment. It's not just going to be, did you kill anybody? It's going to be every word you spoke, every word you spoke, that, that whether it was helpful or life-giving, that's a terrifying thing for the unbeliever. For those of us in Christ, there's no condemnation for us. Nevertheless, very quickly, that doesn't mean we're without accountability. The Bible says we're also going to stand before judgment, not the great white throne of God the Father, but the bema seat of Jesus, and we're going to give an account of our life. And there certainly should be a place that we recognize you know, I want my, if my words are being held accountable there, not in a way that's going to bring condemnation, but reward and honor, I want my words to flow good, because Jesus goes on to say, for by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. There's power. There's just power in words, and so certainly that's going to be highlighted here in the book of Proverbs. Here it is, and again, more, we'll kind of move back and forward uh, between another con- other concepts here in this chapter, but words are a part of it. Okay. Flip the page, verse 7. It says the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. It's a pretty simple contrast. They says when you're looking at the wicked, this person who is wrong with God, he says here they're going to be overthrown. That whatever they have, it's not going to last. It's not going to last. Even if it looks successful, it's not going to last. But in contrast, the house of the righteous, when you look at someone who's right, that will stand. And he calls us to have this eternal vantage point, just recognizing, hey, don't judge everything today. Don't judge everything in, in the midst of what you see today because, hey, the wicked, they're gonna lose everything they have. Uh, they, they're gonna have nothing, but the house of the righteous will stand. And there's something eternal in just recognizing that reward and that space in the midst of it. Much that could be said there, but will continue. Verse eight, A man will be condemned, uh, commended according to his wisdom but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. So we begin with the outflow. He says a man's going to be commended. What's going to bring him honor? What's going to be a part of that according to his wisdom? So wisdom is the focus, and what wisdom will do, it's going to bring honor. It's going to bring a place that this person will be commended. But in contrast, instead of this person who is you know, doing well and, and walking in the midst of that, he's telling us as we, as we think of it, he said, in contrast, he says, the one who is of a perverse heart, he says, that one is going to be despised. That one's going to find themselves, instead of honor, it's going to go badly. And that's just simply true. It's not always the way it plays out on a single day, but you could look at the world and we'd say it's true. Wisdom. It brings honor. It brings honor to us. It brings honor certainly eternally, but this perverse heart, it's going to bring just being despised both in this world, but certainly before God. So as we're thinking about these contrasts, these these things that highlight the way to live and the way not to live, certainly continues that. Verse 9, better is the one who is slighted but has a servant than he who honors himself but lacks bread. So this one's a different proverb. It's not a contrast in the sense of this, but this, or this and this. It's one of these ones that's a better than. Like this is better than this. This is something that should be honored over that, that living here would be better than living there. And so he says, okay, if we're looking at this, better is the one, and again, that's all in italics. so it's just, would be in the Hebrew, better, who is slighted? Better being slighted and yet having a servant than having one who honors himself as the negative but lacks bread. Okay, this actually is a very complicated proverb. In fact, it's brought about a lot of debate in Hebrew circles and people trying to kind of understand it because in some ways it's a little bit confusing. Um, Just giving it to you very quickly, there are a number of people both taking some of the Hebrew and the Syriac translation and others that would say, there might be a better way uh, to render it or a different way to render it because the idea of having this one that you know is slighted but having a servant, it, it almost is like, okay, what are we saying in that moment? So like the Amplified Bible would say it this way, better is he who is lightly esteemed but works for his own support. And so instead of it focusing on having a servant, but it's having a place to serve, better a person that, that is lightly esteemed but works for his own support than he who assumes honor for himself and lacks bread. It's not a bad way to go at it. Some feel strongly that that's a better way to interpret it. That said, you know, honestly, it's still not bad just kind of just taking it right as it is. Let's just make sure you and I think through what's the contrast, what's being held out here? Well, the good thing, or the thing that he's saying is even if you are slighted, even if uh, you are treated badly, uh, and, and disrespected, which is totally not a fun thing. Like nobody thinks that sounds like a great way to live. I should do that. He says, if you have that, and yet, you know, God is providing for you, and and, and there's a space where you know you have a servant, which was not something a sign of being super wealthy in those days. Most people had servants in the midst of so it. Says, but you, you know, you God is taking care of you, and and there's kind of a blessing in that. It, it'd be better to live a life where you are disrespected by some, but God is blessing and taking care of you than to be someone who honors himself. This picture of arrogantly, you know, you know I'm, I'm good. I don't need anybody. And you don't have anything. And there's, you know, if you're taking it that way, you're looking at this person and thinking, I've seen that. You know, I've seen somebody who's arrogant and, you know, boisterous and they have opinions about everything, but it's like, you don't even have a job. You know, you don't even have anything. I mean, like, what gives you, I mean, I would rather, you know, you know, have God just taking care of me. And even if that's disrespected in some, I mean, there's a better place to live. And again, it's not a, a solid contrast, it's a better than. It's like, hey, this is a better space to be, and, and yet to, to kind of gaze upon that in a way and say I'd rather be there than be in this arrogant place that I'm, you know, kind of looking at life in my own way, and yet don't even have anything, and God's not taking care of and providing. There is no actual even bread there. So it's a good place to see. Again, much more we could say because it is a complicated uh, kind of sentence in the, in the midst of the Hebrew, but either way, I think you can kind of get there and begin to see what it looks like. Verse 10, next page a righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So here's this right person. This person is right before God and is doing the right thing. He says, here's the thing. He even cares for his animals. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a blessing that, you know, in the midst of that, there's a place of, of caring for the, the creatures that are under him. And I just want to quickly pause and say, this is a really good thing. Now, we live in a weird space. Uh, we live in a weird space where there are some that abuse animals and you know, kind of think, hey, that's a good thing or they just think there's nothing wrong with that and that certainly would go against this. But we also live in this weird world where some would exalt animals to the same kind of you know, level of mankind where Romans would talk about that they began to worship the creation rather than the creator and again, we don't wanna go that far. I mean, so I mean, in one sense, I just say there's, there's a beautiful balance but there's a place that, you know, that this person is right I mean, even the way they care for animals, even the way they care for, for those around, it, it, it's, it's a loving thing and, and it regards and it cares for animals. On the other side of it, the but is this wicked person who says, you know, these tender mercies of the wicked, they're cruel. The person who's wrong, even when they try to do good, is bad. I mean not only is are they are they, is they not flowing out of this beauty that would take care of animals it's like okay they're even to, to people they're just like wow you, there, there's a cruelty to it there's a uh, an evilness that flows out of this and so certainly again he's calling us to a place of thinking I want to be this right person who's right with God and living right and you know actually you know being a blessing not just to people but to anyone and even taking care of animals around me and it's a good space to live and I know this for some of you you're there uh, but definitely needed to rescue us from any kind of off place in the midst of it, so he shows it to us. Verse 11, he who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. He gives us this proverb, he says, here's this person who is faithful, who is tilling their land, that's the good focus, someone who is, you know, busy about their business, busy about their job, says they're going to be satisfied, they're just going to be satisfied, but he who follows frivolity, the one who looks on this and, and lives this life of just, you know, you know, just, you know, couch surfing and kind of doing without it, you know, in the midst of it, he says, that's really, that's devoid of understanding. And Proverbs continues to hold this theme before us. It's already talked about it, but, you know, it is kind of that idle hands of the devil's workshop. I mean, kind of this place of, hey, you live this life of being lazy. That is never going to go well. It's never the life that God designed. There's never this place of just being frivolous with your days and the time. He says that you, if you live that way, you lack understanding. You lack understanding of the way that God has us to live. But the one who is faithful, tilling his land, doing the, the day in, day out that needs to be done, the caring for life in the midst of it, they're, they're going to be satisfied with bread. It's going to be a blessing. And so he continues to call us to, hey, I want to be that person. I want to be that person who is faithful in the day in and day out and not living uh, a life of, complete laziness. And again, I, I just pause to say, I don't know where that lands with you. It might just land just really good. Like, I agree, Jim. I mean, like, wish we could tell everybody that. But I'm telling you again, you live in a world that has a different value system. Uh, we live in a world, honestly, in many ways that would say, hey, the best life is a frivolous life. Like, if you could get to the place that all you had to do was play video games all day long, like, that's real living. And I'm just telling you, it's not... It's not. It's not just about, you know, it's, it's, it's not satisfying. It's not rewarding. It's not the way God designed us to be. And so there is a place, again, of us saying, hey, God's ways are not, our world has a different philosophy of living than what God has. And it's, he's never longing for us to follow frivolity thinking, I'm just looking for living all my days. It would like the ultimate for me would be able to spend, you know, you know my whole year in Cancun kind of thing or whatever. It's like that's going to be, it's like that would never satisfy. It is never, I mean, vacations are great, and God is in, in, in those things, and there's joy in the midst of creation, but it's never meant to be a frivolous life. It's not what he has for us. It's not the way he wants us to go. Verse 12. The wicked covet the catch of evil men, uh, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. So the wicked, again, is the focus. They're here. And it's as if they look on what other evil people have and they want it. That, that they, they look on that and think, ah, I, I just, there's this, you know, horrible desire. But the root of the righteous, this person who is walking with God, doing the right thing, it just yields it just yields. Again, the word fruit actually isn't in the Hebrew, uh, so you can kind of take it out. So the wicked covet the catch of evil, uh, the root of the righteous yields. Like that brings, that's, that, that produces, that works good things. And so again, he's calling us to a different life. On one hand, I think about what it would tell us in Psalm 37, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. He says you should never find yourself wanting what evil people have, it's it just never going to be a good thing. He shouldn't be like, oh, that would be a great life. No, it would never be a good life. He says, that's where the wicked are. They, they look at what other people have. He says, instead, I, I want to be a good person. And that'll bring fruit. That'll, that'll bring reward. That'll bring the things that God has for me. And, and one more time, it just sets a very different focus. Instead of longing for the rewards of the wicked, we just want to be faithful in the things that God has for us. All right. Well, let's turn the page. Verse 13 it says, the wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. So we begin to now return to these ideas of words and much of the next proverbs are going to be about this, where he says, the wicked, this person is wrong. He says, they're going to be ensnared like their mouth is going to get them in trouble. I mean, they're going to be ensnared by their own words Instead, he says, the contrast is this person who's righteous, who's just trying to do the right thing. He says, they're going to come through. They're going to come through trouble because of, of just doing it right. know, I find myself thinking about this. And I, I love one of those quotes from Abraham Lincoln that he simply said it this way. He says, no man has a good enough memory to be a successful liar. He says, you know, you, you, you live a lie, it's going to catch you. You know, you, you, you can't, nobody can keep it straight. Your own words will be your undoing so much better so much better just to be a truthful person. He says, it will rescue you. you. You'll come through because it's like, well, I just, I just tell the truth. I don't have to, now what did I tell them? You know, what lie did I kind of give them? It's, no, it's just, this is who I am. This is what I, this, I, I live this lifestyle. And he says, that will bring us through. That'll bring rescue in the way that we live. And it's a much more simple way to do it. A way to simply say, hey, that's what we're wanting to do. Continuing in verse 16, you know, is, is he, is he, is, is he, I'm sorry, verse 14 I turned too many pages. Sorry about that. You know, as we think about just all that's there and and the things that he's calling us, he says, a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. So he says, here's a man who's going to be satisfied, the one who's going to be satisfied with good. That's the good thing that we're thinking through. He says, it's going to come from his mouth. I mean, his own words are going to bring back reward in the midst of this, and the recompense uh, of a man's hands, uh, you know, will be rendered to him. That in one sense, what you say and what you do, those will be the things that define just where your life is going. I think about it in a different way. Paul would say it in Galatians 6, saying the same thing, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, That's what you're going to reap. What you do, what you say, that is earning things. That's going to come back. And there's a way of looking at that and saying, okay, again, we, there's, there's a, a call to say, okay, I want to be the one that is, is this doing the right thing, speaking the right thing, not just because it's right, but it, it is a rewarding thing that would draw that back even to me. As he calls us to live such a life in verse 15, he says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who leads counsel is wise. So the negative thing is A fool says the the way a fool lives his life, he says he's right in his own eyes. Uh, He, you know, kind of is his own counsel. He, you know, just lives his life by his own set of rules. But the contrast, he who heeds counsel, who listens uh, to others speaking to his life, that's wisdom. Now, Proverbs has already talked about this, is going to continue to talk about it as you've been with us. But there is this folly of thinking that you're enough the thinking that you're wise enough to handle everything in your life. There's an arrogance to us that kind of wants to say, I'm an island. I don't need anybody. I can make my own decisions. I I know everything, you know, kind of that thing. And yet there's a place where God longs for us to say, I don't know everything. And the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. And the place where I can say, I need good people speaking into my life and where I can run things by them because I am going to admit that I, that I need that help, and so he invites us to be not this way of a fool that thinks he can handle everything, but to be this one who heeds counsel, wisdom. It's a good way to live, a way that God would have us to do, and a way that God would cause us to live the life that he has for us. All right, now you can flip the page. We got ahead of it a moment ago. Verse 16, a fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. So he says, here's a fool's wrath. I mean, somebody who's foolish living a dumb life. He says, you know, their wrath, boy, you know it right away. I mean, you you know exactly what they're saying. You know right where they are, it immediately flows out of that, but a prudent. And again, the word man actually isn't in the Hebrew, so just someone who's prudent, someone who's living prudent life, he says, that covers shame. It's not a a difficult proverb, but let's just make sure we think about it for a moment. Proverbs has already talked about this. And again, there's, I love just the the flow of Proverbs that some of it, it comes back and says the same thing in another way. He's simply telling us, you know, that there is no honor. There is no um, good thing to be that kind of person that just says, I say everything I think. Everything comes to my mind, I just speak it. You know, again, I'm just telling you, you live in a world that for some people, that's that's like really being, like, you just hold nothing back. And the Bible says, no, that's not a good thing. <laughs> like, everything that comes into my brain does, should not all come out. Here's this fool, this person, and they get angry. And, and you know they're angry in, like, four seconds. You know, I mean, it, it takes no time for them to go from, you know, zero to furious in, in that way. He so says, you know what it at once, but a prudent man, he doesn't do that. It, even so much that sometimes things are, are shameful or wrong, but in that sense, sometimes it's like I, I you know, I'm not going to think, I'm not going to speak quickly, like the way it gives it to us in the book of, of James, where he says, "So then, my beloved brother, and let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Don't don't speak quickly. Don't be the person that. I mean, even if it gets you angry, it's like I'm, you know, I need to think about this for a little bit. I'm going to pro, I mean, I need to make sure that this isn't just an emotion. I mean, I I need to make sure that. You know, because wisdom says, I, I, I'm going to be slow. I'm going to be slow about that. I'm going to listen for a moment. I'm not going to be that person that, you know, goes from, you know, that the foolish anger just is, is just immediate, that you can, you know, you can push my button and four seconds later, you know, you're going to hear about it. It's like, no, you know what, even if, I, even if it upsets me, even if what you're doing is wrong, even if it's shameful, I'm going to think about it. I'm, I'm going I'm to let that just process, and I'm going to kind of seek the right way to handle that, and that'll go out in a lot of different ways, but what this is simply calling us is to be that person that love covers a multitude of sins, that there's a place of us being just careful in our words, that we don't speak rashly or too quickly, that he's calling us to a place that is a beautiful life, and again, maybe you're like, that's good advice, Jim. I'm trying to live that, but I'm telling you your world is telling you otherwise, And if you follow the world's wisdom, you will let this go wrongly in your life and it will do you poor. You know, the Bible calls you to a place that we don't say everything we think and we don't speak it as soon as it comes to our mind. Well, we continue. Verse 17, he who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. So if you're going to be a truthful person, you're going to be someone whose words are right, that speaks truth, then you're just going to declare what's right. I mean, what's going to come out of that is that, but a false witness, it will be one that it is deceitful. So again, not a complicated one, one that we've already kind of just touched on a little bit this evening, but if you speak the truth, it'll be right. You know, that you don't sit there and do like Abraham Lincoln said, you know, just, if you're gonna have to lie. <laughs> Nobody has a good enough memory to be that kind of liar. Just just speak the truth, just like this is true. This is, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to think about it, and sometimes even when it's unpopular, or even if it's not where everything else is like, this is, you know, I'm going to be one that just, I speak truth, and that's going to declare what's right. And he calls us to a way that our words would flow that in in a very powerful way. As he's thinking about, and again, we're in these, amidst of a bunch of proverbs that are focusing on the words that are coming out of our mouth. He says, there's one that speaks like piercings of a sword in verse 18, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. So we look at this one, he says, here's this person, I mean, if you could just watch him for a moment, and their words, Man, they know how to cut somebody down, I mean, to size so quickly. Their words, they, they cut like a sword. They, just, they, say, they slice people up so quickly. But the tongue of the wise, the one who's thinking, I want to do that, health. Again, the word promotes actually isn't there in the Hebrew, so it's in the italics. But so it's the idea of the tongue of the wise, health. And he simply is calling us to do that. One more time, that's the way the world, you know, sometimes see it, but can I just simply say, let it not be you. Some of you. I mean, maybe it's you. Maybe you are very quick-witted. Maybe you have the ability to come up with those zingers so quickly, and, 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 and very quickly you could cut somebody down to size, and you could, you know, destroy them, make fun of them. You just want to say, that's not what I want to be. I want to be the kind of person that what comes out of my, my lips it's going to be good. I mean, you know, Paul would talk about it in Ephesians. He says, you know, whatever, you know, those things which are good and, and helpful and kind, like those are the things we want to come out of our lips, not the kind of thing that was this witty retort that destroyed somebody's, you know, personal, it's like, that's not a good thing. The Bible would say that's a, you know, is not the way he has. He wants us to be wise, and that would be one that brings life and help and goodness in the midst of that. Okay. Flip over to page seven, pick it up in verse 19, again, continuing in the idea of our lips. He says, the truthful lips shall be established forever, but the lying tongue is but for a moment. So here's this person who's speaking truth and doing the right thing. He says, there's stuff happening there that's eternal. There are things there that are life-giving and good, but here, this opposite, this person who just lies and, and speaks things that they don't even know, he says, it's just a moment. I mean, it's just a moment. I mean, things that people say that aren't true. I mean, it's almost, again, if you could sit there and see them, and we, and we talked about it earlier that it would be true if we could think about a life and, and being established and the wicked's going to go away and the righteous are going to be established, but it's true even for words. Good words are going to last. Good words are, are, can, can be things that are so powerful, but a lying tongue, I mean, even when it causes a laugh or, you know, earns favor in a moment, it's, it's empty and it will go away, and it's not the way that we want to live. It's not the things that God has for us. In fact, he continues it in verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. So he gives us the, the flow out. He says, here's the thing. Deceit, this lying, that's actually what's in the heart of those who devise evil. So they're, they're thinking about evil. They're, they're people who you know plan evil things. He says it's a lie, and, and lies are flowing in their heart but the contrast, the counselors of peace. And I just like that description, by the way. The counselors of peace have joy. What a very different picture. What a very different picture of saying, okay, here's this one that, who, who's thinking evil, and what comes out of their, their lips is, is lies and deceit and certainly destructive. But he says those who, again, they're thinking about their words. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the the, the sword that cuts somebody down. I want to be someone who counsels peace, who speaks of good things, who speaks of right things. He says, if you do that, you'll have joy. You'll have joy. You'll have joy because not only what you're doing, but there's a joy in that. There's a joy in being that kind of person that is careful with your words, thinking and speaking things that would be altogether what God has and the life that he's longing for us to have. And again, I don't know if that invites you. I don't know if that kind of calls you like, oh, that. I'm just it does me. I look at this verse and it's definitely one of those like, I still want that. I want to be a counselor of peace that has joy. I want that to be that that's what I'd be known for and be a part of my life and flowing out of it. God, make it so. Verse 21, no grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. And so the outflow of this, no grave trouble. Like as, as you gaze on this, he says, when you think about the righteous, it doesn't mean everything goes well. doesn't mean ever, that, that life is perfect. But in, this, in the scheme of things, the, gra- the gravity of life, it doesn't flow that way. But the wicked, he says, they'll be filled with evil. Now, again, we could talk about this practically, that there's a certain flow of that out in, da- in our days, but it'd be so much easier just to widen it out to eternity and say, you know what? for the one who's righteous, we get get through this. We we get through whatever life has. We get through all that's before us. You know, that there's a sense of saying, you know, doesn't mean our days will always be perfect days, but that the, 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 the really powerful grave trouble that is eternal judgment and damnation, it's like, that's not mine. On top of so many other things that God rescues me out of. But if you live a wicked life, if you're living one who's wrong with God, he says, you're going to be one that that person, the wicked, will be filled with evil, that that will flow out of you, that the, that the very way that it should goes would be that which would both be overtaking you and flowing, and again, just saying, it is not the life that God wants for us, just to show us, you know, even as we gaze forward at the way we live life, that it would draw us to all that God has for us. Let's do a few more. Verse twenty-two. Uh, there it gives it to us this way, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. So the negative thing is lying lips, and we've talked a bunch about this already, words that are deceitful and lies, and and, and we've talked about how it does bad for us and hurts other people, and it's a sword that cuts other people down. All that's true but now he just tucks tucks it and says, and God hates it. God hates it. It's abominable to him. God looks at that and he says, I hate it. It, That's an abomination to me. That's a pretty powerful word, by the way. I mean, I don't know what you would say. Hey, that's an abomination to me. It's not like, hey, that's just a little bit, not my favorite thing, you know, kind of thing. It's like, that's an abomination to me. God says, I hate, that's what lying lips are to me. I hate it. I hate it when people do that, when they speak deceit and it flows out of that. But those who deal truthfully, those who speak truth and, and are known as people of truth, he loves that. It's his delight. I mean, again, there's a powerful word. I mean, as much as the abomination is a powerful negative word, delight is a powerful good word that God would say, I, I, I delight in watching people be truthful. I delight in watching people speak truth. And that's just an amazing thing to me. I mean, I don't know what you think delights the heart of God. Sometimes we get into the weird place that, you know, we only see some certain things. Like, okay, if we're singing a worship song, God likes that. That might be delightful. Or, you know, if we're sharing the gospel, that's delightful. And I just, I think it's probably true. I think he probably delights in that. But it's amazing what God delights in. It's amazing that he says, I love it when you're truthful. It it, it thrills my heart. It delights me. It brings me pleasure when I, when I watch people who, who don't live this lie, this deceptive world that Satan is the liar who, who's permeated our world with lies, and that would rescue us from that. Now, I probably should quickly pause there and say, there's not anybody in this room that doesn't need more of that. Lies permeate our world. Satan is the liar. He's the father of lies, and because of that, that sin nature, it permeates us. And so sometimes that flows into our lives. And, and I'm not saying this is condemnation. I'm just saying you should look on it and think, that is not the way God wants me to live. That is not a good thing. It's not okay. It's not, well, it's just a little lie. I just, you know, I'm not always truthful, but I'm really funny, you know, kind of deal. He's like, well, that's not a good thing. It's like, okay, be, be a truthful person, be someone who, who, who's, who's got honor, who, who would speak that. And if for no other reason, because it makes God happy, because it pleases him. Even if it doesn't do you good, even if nobody else likes it, it's enough to say God loves it. God delights in us being that way, and that should be enough for us. That should be enough to say that's the life that we wanted to live, that that's the, the, the way that he would seek us to walk, and that that would be the place that he would invite us to have well, it's always hard to figure out where to stop for me. And yet I think this is probably a good place for us to stop because in one sense, we're at the, the biggest place. We've talked about a bunch of things this evening, both about being truthful, about being right, about walking in the midst of that and our words flowing out of that. But ultimately it comes down to how God sees it, that, that God would be the one that, that we would find our delight in, we would find our value in, that we would find ourselves saying, hey, that's what we want. And so here's what we want to do. It's uh you know november thirty first the last day of November or a k a December first just kidding um I don't know so we we really planned for the for communion to be on the last day of the month, and it was just a hard deal because you know we kind of got down to it, and it was like, well, thanksgiving's last week, we couldn't really do it last week, and then it's going to get to Christmas, so you know we try to give you guys opportunity to have communion every month in different ways. We do it on Sunday mornings once a month, and on Wednesday nights we do it once a month, and it's usually the last Wednesday of the month, but we just thought hey, it would be good to do it. It's December 1st. And so we thought it would be a good space to do it. And I want to invite you in to take communion with us. Now, I love this. I love, you know, you know, this reality that Jesus invites us, you know, to come and remember him and and to remember the cross and and remember, you know, in the midst of, of our life that this is that. And I want to invite you into that from the things we spoke of tonight. So here's the deal. I should begin here and say, if you're here this evening and you don't know Jesus, if you're outside of a relationship with him, you're not righteous. To be, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. It's the only way that anybody can be made right. You can't be right outside of that. And it may have been some of what we've showed you tonight is to show you how off you are. And God is inviting you into a life that would make you right. And then that would flow out into your life. And so tonight, maybe as you come into this space, that might need to be where it begins. That as we come to take communion, it might be a great moment for you to surrender your life to Jesus. And if that's what you're gonna do, we invite you to take communion. Uh, The Bible tells us in Corinthians, when we we take communion, every time we do it, we're preaching the gospel. We're telling people, this is who we are. This is the nature of who we are. It's possible for you to have this as well. So we invite you to that. Now, if that's not you, I mean, if if that's not what you're going to do and you're here and you're just listening, we're really glad you're here. And we don't want to chase you off or make you feel weird, but we are going to tell you this isn't really for you. Communion's for believers, and it's for something that we remember what God is to us. And so the best thing would be is if you're not going to surrender your life to Jesus, don't take communion. It would be a lie. It would be a lie right now, which would be, you know, an abomination in the sight of God and just wrong. It wouldn't do anything good for you. And so don't take communion if you're not his. Now, if you are his, you're invited. You're invited to take communion. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray in a moment, asking God to prepare us for that and lead us into it. And Pastor Phil's going to come up and lead worship. And we're going to put the communion elements on a a couple stands up here. And we're going to sing a couple closing songs. And we're just going to invite you whenever you're ready. Come take communion. Uh, Whenever you're ready, in the midst of those songs, come take it. You can take communion up here. You can take it back to your chairs. You can stand. You can kneel. Wherever it just has kind of met you, in the midst of those closing songs, we're just going to invite you who know Jesus to, to come and remember Jesus. And it might be in so doing that both remembering what he is, remembering that he has made you right, but maybe just inviting you into that. Maybe it would be a place as we take communion tonight that you'd be able to say, God, rescue me from my brokenness. Rescue me from some of these things that we talked about tonight that are not what I'm doing. Uh, Maybe it is that you're deceitful. Maybe you are that person that has a a tongue like a sword that cuts other people down. And it's a place to come and say, this is not a good thing. I need to change. Forgive me. That's what the cross is about. Wash me, cleanse me, and lead me in righteousness. Lead me in the things that you have for me. It'd be a great moment of surrender as we just face the cross and that place of being rescued from what we were and being drawn to the life that he has for us. So, again, this is for you. Uh, whenever that's ready, you know, you can come take communion. And in the midst of, of either song, when you're done taking communion, just worship with us. It's only two songs, and so it's not going to be a long time, but just go back to your chair and worship with us, and then we'll close there. So, with that in mind, let me pray right now and ask God to draw us into this time of remembering Jesus. Jesus, I think about the cross, and that's everything. We are right now, the righteousness of God in Christ. It is because of you, it is because of what you did, it's because of your death and resurrection that it's even possible to be right with you, no other way. Thank you, thank you. Thank you that you have done that. Thank you that you are that for us. For any here this evening that are wrong with you, that they're wicked, would you rescue them? Would you rescue them and bring them to be right with you through Christ? Would you bring them to the cross? Would you bring them to an end of themselves? Would you bring them to forgiveness? God, we ask for that, that you would draw those that don't know you. But then, Lord, we just present ourselves to you right now. And we come to the cross, just the, 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 just the foot of the cross, the place where hope is found for us, both that our sin was forgiven, and yet this place where we get to come and say, God, wash me, wash my feet, cleanse me, Cleanse me of the, of, of the things that are an abomination to you. Wash me tonight from those things that you would say that is not the way you have us to live, even though the world says it's fine, even things the world esteems. May you cause us to esteem what you have. So would you meet us tonight as we remember the cross in a way that helps us to embrace the forgiveness that's ours in you, but then compels us to, to move forward in righteousness, and says, Lord, from this moment, from this place of, of being at the foot of the cross to come and say, Lord, lead us in righteousness. Lead us to be people who are pleasing that you would say that you delight in us. God, I ask for that. I ask it for me. I ask it for us. And so Lord, would you cleanse us? Would you draw us? And would you make this time as we take communion just everything you have for us. We pray for it now in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I laid me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to cry. To your heart To your heart Lead me to your heart Lead me to your heart Lead me to, Lead me to the cross Lord Jesus, there is no greater thing than knowing you. And I thank you, Lord, for each one here tonight, Lord, that, that knows you as Savior and Lord, each one that has been purchased and redeemed by your blood. And Lord, that you have imparted to us your righteousness. Lord, what a blessing that is. We thank you for that. We pray this in your name. Amen.